Every facet of the fashion industry, including the way luxury brands sell online, is changing. In this series, we ask those on the front lines to speak candidly about the future of fashion. Each episode explores how designers, executives, and other key industry players are adjusting their roadmaps to reflect an industry in flux. In the aftermath of the pandemic, fashion is reconfiguring its way forward, and we're finding out how those in charge are adapting. I'm Hilary Milnes, and this is The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business is brought to you in association with Klarna, the leading global payments and shopping service that lets shoppers buy now and pay later. Visit Klarna.com to find out how you can increase your average order value, drive traffic, and create a smooth checkout experience by adding a buy now, pay later option to your website. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes. Farfetch was founded in 2007 to bring luxury boutiques and brands online. In adopting a marketplace model, Farfetch provided a platform and audience to individual sellers without carrying inventory like other multi-brand e-tailers. Now a public company with multiple acquisitions under its belt, Farfetch has gone from next-gen fashion upstart to established industry player. In this episode, we explore the company's unique positioning to propel luxury forward after the fallout of the pandemic. My guest today is founder and CEO of Farfetch, Jose Nevish. We're so glad to have you on the show. Hi, Hilary. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Let's dive right in. I know we are at a very interesting intersection for direct brand retail wholesale retail and Farfetch sits in a in a different place in that shift. Uh, can you can you describe as the as so many brands are figuring out how to best sell goods online where where does Farfetch sit? I think you know for for us it's very clear Farfetch is a platform a platform for the entire luxury industry and our mission is about connecting the the curators the creators and the consumers of fashion um, all around the world. And that includes everyone. So it includes uh, the best boutiques, uh, the best department stores, and, and of course, the brands. And uh, it's really an ecosystem that works, in my view, works you know, in a very interconnected way. And the platform just reflects that. So we continue to have our boutique community, um, in fact, through, throughout COVID-19, we launched a special initiative uh, called Hashtag Support Boutiques, which was incredibly successful. It really resonated with consumers that during COVID-19 uh, wanted to connect and support local businesses and small family-owned uh, businesses. But of course, we're a platform for Brands Direct, and, and these are now 500 brands directly on the platform. And they're not only the, the very large brands, of course, we have, you know, the Gucci's and the Saint Laurent's and the Fendi's and the Prada's, um, et cetera. And they, they are an important part of the business. But we also have many smaller up-and-coming designers who rely on our platform for, for that global connectivity. And, and it works really well for, for the consumer. The consumer is, is really very open to receiving, buying an item from a brand and receiving it either direct from the brand or from the boutique. And to, to, to a certain extent, as long as, you know, it's fantastic service, great packaging, and, and they, when we have the product on their size, they're really agnostic on whether the product is coming from a, a boutique or a brand. So from a consumer perspective, having the, the best curation of brands and products via both uh, retailers and brands works very well. And that's why we, we keep it in a, in a very you know, user-centric, consumer-centric way. 
Um, and that has worked very well. Um, you know, the vast majority of our brands sell directly and, and via boutiques. And we've seen both growing and actually both growing throughout the pandemic. We've, we've had very fast growth overall. And that was coming not just from the brands direct, but also from the boutiques. So for luxury shoppers, as the, the pandemic has, has been ongoing, um, what have you observed about their behavior? Are they still interested in, in shopping the same way that they were before? Um, have they changed the type of items that they're, they're looking for? It's, you know, I'm sure it's an interesting time to be promoting luxury goods, or are you not really noticing a difference? Well, I think, you know, uh, of course, we, we talk about luxury because it's easier for, for people to understand that we do operate in, you know, high quality, original, um, creatively designed um, fashion. But I think the word luxury sometimes confuses people because we're, you know, we on Firefetch, you can find designers that have literally, you know, five, you know, wholesale accounts around the world. That's it. That's their distribution. And some are shipping directly from the studios and, and some... Some are very, you know, uh, sustainability driven and, and they have uh, one of uh, pieces and their brand center around uh, recycling and upcycling of, uh, of fashion products. So, you know, we, we sell a very broad range of fashion on the sustainability uh, side of things. For example, um, we pride ourselves of having the best representation of sustainable designers on the Internet. We have over 160 sustainable brands on the platform. We've launched um, a filter, a special filter called uh, Positively Conscious that allows customers to shop not only these designers, but also sustainable-minded pieces from and products from designers uh, across our portfolio. And this broad appeal uh, really bodes very well with times such as uh, such as the times we live we live in. And uh, and what we've seen is customers, as I said in your earlier question, really tuning in to supporting communities, supporting local businesses, smaller designers. Uh, so boutiques and smaller designers performed really well through the pandemic. We continue to make strides in our sustainability strategy. We launched in the middle of the pandemic in April carbon offsetting. So it's now completely carbon neutral for people to shop or return items to us. And and of course, we saw an uptick in categories such as athleisure, more casual categories such as uh, hoodies and t-shirts and sneakers, uh, but but of very high quality components still. People are still shopping for highly creative, uh, very well you know designed and, and manufactured items, which is what we specialize in. So so that's kind of the consumer shifts that we've we've seen in terms of behavior um, throughout this period. Yeah, and I and I do want to get back to the sustainability strategy in a bit. But what comes to mind here, and you talk about independent designers, creatives, uh, these these smaller businesses that that Farfetch carries. Do you think that there's a void when we look at, at what has happened on the luxury department store side of it um, with without a Barney's? Where are those customers going, and and how do you make sure that you know you have that mix of independent designers as well as like the Gucci's and the and the Pradas. How do you think about that mix from an inventory perspective? I'm glad you, you asked that question because for us, it's, it's really, really important to support the entire ecosystem. We have 3,500 designers represented on Farfetch. 500 are direct. They're selling direct to the consumer um, as well as boutiques, obviously, but they have their own direct uh, channel. And around 3,000 are sold via our boutiques. So 
So I think the curation element of Firefetch is something that um, customers love and is very, very unique to us. And and these boutiques, they are they're really the, the the guardians of creativity in fashion and diversity in fashion because that's their raison d'être, right? They exist to curate, they exist to find the new, uh, to research, and and really bring to market um, all these amazing new labels. Um, if you think off white, for example, obviously as you know, we're very involved with Virgil, and you know if you look at off white, um, it started. Very, you know, just the first season we had it on Firefetch was 2014, and they had one boutique in Italy. Um, so that's that's how they started. And obviously, it's incredible to see that um, designers, you know, even in the first season, two seasons, three seasons, they already have a window on Firefetch uh, because they have a window on these independent boutiques all around the world, and in turn, these boutiques are on Firefetch. And, and that allows us to establish the relationship and start the conversation. And then, of course, at a certain point um, in their evolution, they, they may join the marketplace selling directly. As I, sa- as I said, 500 brands, as you would imagine, um, obviously the top 20 are large or medium-sized brands. But if you go below the top 100, they're all small, family-owned, independently operated businesses. So so we're really, really focused on providing that support to the overall industry, especially and specifically um, the small designers as well. When you look at the the fashion industry at large, do you think it's more challenging right now, especially, but also, you know, over the last 10 years for these small independent designers to build sustainable, lasting businesses? It seems, you know, that something has to change within how the fashion industry operates to support these these smaller brands. You know, when in having conversations with these designers, how do they want to sell? What businesses, like, you know, are they trying to build and do you see that changing um, as you know? There's a bit of a reckoning um, following the pandemic. Yes, I think you know. I, I actually started in fashion as a as a designer. I had my own uh, shoe brand in the '90s, and eventually I was a boutique owner as well. But but as a designer, I remember it was a very different industry. You know, we would the collections would be created in different timings, and we would ship in different timings, and people would actually be more synchronized with. Seasons and what we've seen over the past, you know, 10, 10 years or maybe 10, 15 years is is gradually the, the whole system getting completely incoherent, right? So designers design way ahead. Um, they can feel the zeitgeist um, because the production and design cycles are so long. And w- winter hits the shelves when it's summer is starting and the other way around. And, and summer collections hit the shelves when winter is, is, is starting, which which then drives a markdown cycle, which is very unhealthy. And I think this this is actually a great opportunity um, for the industry to reset and resync. And we've seen initiatives from a number of groups and collectives to to do just that, which we absolutely applaud. And we're we're here to really support all these strategies. Um, Farfetch, that's the advantage with Farfetch, is is we're a real-time platform. So as soon as the products are available, even they, if they're shipping from studios or if they're shipping from the brand's warehouses and not necessarily from boutiques or department stores, uh, brands can can reach these, these customers. And, and I think this is a great opportunity for small brands because it's a period of time where having a very large and wide network presence 
physical store presence is has become more of a liability than an asset, right? So the smaller designers, because they're nimbler and they're not so reliant on their own physically operated stores all around the globe, they, they can adapt in a very nimble way. And if they have digital platforms, um, their own brand.com, Instagram, Farfetch, that can reach customers direct, that can be an incredible source of growth, um, even in a period like this. So so I think that's what we're we're seeing is brands um, adapting to a different cadence. Uh, and this is not just the small brands, but the big brands as well. And platform, digital platforms primarily serving as um, a way to reach consumers as and when the brands want and, and as and when the consumers want to be reached as well. And I think that is very powerful. And we're we're here to support all these strategies from from the brands, knowing and understanding that different brands will have different strategies, and that's totally okay. That's not a one size fits all. Yeah, I think you're you're touching on all of the you know main challenges or uh, shifts that that I think the industry is starting to come face to face with, and one of them that we keep hearing about and writing about is okay, luxury is finally pivoting to e-commerce and embracing online and realizing the power in, in digital sales. Is that something you've been you've been waiting for or is this overblown? Just wondering from your perspective, are brands now on the low, you know, the high-end luxury end seeing e-commerce and digital sales in a different light? Absolutely. I think I think the luxury industry has been very slow to embrace digital. We always saw that as an opportunity. To put it in perspective, in 2019, only 12% of sales were done online. So vast majority, 88%, were, were in physical stores. I think the trend is very clear, obviously. It's, it's going more online and less offline. Uh, but I, I definitely see a paradigm shift. And the paradigm shift is starting with the consumer. Consumers are... Uh, discovering the joy of buying luxury online, the incredible range and unrivaled access to designers from all around the world, and the convenience and overall great experience they can have online. And and I think a lot of luxury customers, especially in China and other markets, they equated luxury shopping to jumping on a plane and going to Paris and having that the whole experience, Avenue Montaigne and Champs-Élysées, etc. And now they're discovering that luxury can be exper- experienced in a in a very different way and through digital channels. And that is a paradigm shift, which in turn is leading to a paradigm shift from the brands as well. I think the brands always said that always they always said most of the brands, vast majority, that eventually they would embrace digital and digital was becoming very important, especially in terms of creation of desire, not necessarily in terms of transactions. But I think that that paradigm shift means that they're fast tracking their digital strategies and we've seen the very large brands and and uh, our top 20 brands on Farfetch which which are you know very large brands billion plus brands most of them they doubled that turnover on Farfetch um, year over year in Q2 so we've we've seen them literally doubling down on direct to consumer digital sales not not just I'm obviously talking about data points, which are easier for people to to maybe grasp the, the magnitude of the paradigm shift, but it's also the quality, right? So we've done incredible collaborations with Gucci, um, the off the grid launch, their really powerful um, environmentally friendly line that they just launched. We've launched uh, the with Burberry their monogram summer capsule, and also different categories with Manny. We launched a, a homeware uh, collection. 
so you, you really see the brands leveraging Farfetch as a channel for transactions, for sure, and that's literally doubling year over year, growing very, very fast, but also as a, a media platform, a platform where they can reach customers to talk about um, ideas, products, and really develop their brand. And that is definitely a paradigm shift that we see that is continues to accelerate. Right. And and I'm sure, you know, over the years, Farfetch has learned plenty about how this customer wants to shop, particularly online. And so how, how do you use that, you know, knowledge and advantage, especially when you look at marketplaces like Amazon that are, you know, always seem to be on the, the fringe of wanting to get involved in, in luxury fashion? Do you see that as a potential competition or how do you look at, you know, the customer experience itself as being, okay, here's, we've kind of cornered this online luxury experience, which isn't just your typical online uh, shopping experience? Yes, I, I think, you know, uh, platforms like Amazon, they're incredibly powerful, uh, needless to say. And I do think they have, from, from a financial model, they, they do have the right model, which is, which is our model. It's the e-concession model. So, so marketplaces are definitely the way to go for brands, as opposed to wholesale distribution. And that's very public, publicly disclosed by, by all the, the, the brands. Now, what kind of marketplace environment are you wanting to uh, to be present? And and what we can never forget, lose sight uh, of, is that high-end fashion, fashion in generally, in general, in fact, but but higher-end fashion is an emotional purchase. It's it is not your convenience purchase. You know, you wake up in the morning, you want to be inspired about fashion. You want to feel excited about fashion. You want to. You want to see great pictures. You want to see how they're styled. You want to see the looks. You, you want to see a curated view of the entire collection from that designer and, and what other designers relate to that designer. That environment, that, that DNA, is something that I believe Amazon does not offer. Amazon is, is great for convenience. I'm a big Amazon uh, shopper. I think we're, most of us are. I'm, but you know, the entire experience is convenience-oriented. From the graphic design, the pictures, the way the filters work, the way checkout works, et cetera, et cetera, including delivery. You know, are they the right logistics for luxury? I don't think so. And so I think, you know, from a company DNA, company culture, you know, Amazon is just not cut for luxury. And, and actually, I don't think it's cut for emotional purchases in general. And that's why you see companies in other sectors, even mainstream sectors, if you think companies like Wayfair, right? succeeding in, in home periods, et cetera, because very often it's, it's a research-led, emotional-led purchase. It's your home. And you see even companies like Shui, pet products. Uh, you, I would never think they would be able to compete with Amazon. Well, they are successful competing with Amazon because people love their pets and there is uh, an emotional attachment. And I think this lack of emotional attachment to Amazon, other than you know a, a fantastic place you, you can get your, your, your products from conveniently, is their biggest uh, hindrance. And, and I think that will continue to be the case because you, you simply cannot change the DNA of companies easily not, and not at the multi-trillion dollar scale that they're operating. They have a very successful playbook. There's no reason for them to change it. Yeah, I think that's a really important one that you hit on, which is you know, Farfetch can't just be a vessel for for luxury brands and designers, but it has to have its own brand awareness. Um, if you would just you kind of like give us a look under the hood, I know you know Farfetch is now public. Um, it's had a few acquisitions. Are you still on track to be profitable by twenty twenty one? 
Yes, uh, absolutely. We are, in fact, accelerating the, the path to profitability as we've been beating our guidance from quarter to quarter in the, in the past. Well, since we were a public company, actually, we, we never missed guidance. <laughs> we've, mm-hmm. we've guided lower growth, but we actually never missed uh, any guidance, to, to be clear. So we're actually, you know, not only rate rating, but in fact, accelerating towards that target of 2021 profitability. And it's according to, to, to what um, our shareholders always wanted and, and expected and, and what our management and board defined as, as the priorities. The priority was to invest, to become the number one platform in online luxury, which we are now globally. Invest to be present in all large luxury goods markets in the world with a huge investment in China in particular, but also Japan, Middle East, Russia, Latin America, etc. And those investments obviously uh, defer profitability, but that was the right thing to do as I think Farfetch is, is proving from quarter to, to quarter. Absolutely. That that global element of it um, to tailor to each individual market, I imagine, you know, that's... Uh, so obviously in China, there's the partnership with with JD. What does that look like from, you know, and if you're talking about a market like Russia, you know, how do you kind of gather, like have this, like, here's this global view of the customer and then breaking it down by region to region. Is that a matter of having teams in, in position in those local markets? Um, I think, you know, to be truly global as a, as a luxury company, it, it, it's, it takes a lot of nuance. Absolutely. It takes a lot of nuance. And I always admired Condé Nast, by the way. I, I even had one of Condé Nast executives many years ago coming to to our team to explain how Vogue, for example, it's a very unique brand. It's it's very few brands are leading media brands everywhere around the world, right? So, uh, so for us, absolutely, we we believe in in local teams. We believe in being close to the customer, in having the pulse, the zeitgeist of of the local society and, and culture. And we have teams um, everywhere in all these markets. So we have Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, over Greater China. Uh, we have an office in Tokyo, Moscow, Dubai, Sao Paulo, New York, LA, etc. So, so it's all about having local teams that curate to the local customer, but also do customer service, private client, which is our um, top tier of customers, marketing, media relations. All, all of this is is done locally, which I think it's the only way we can we can really offer this unrivaled global customer experience. Um, that is strategic for us. So, so in China in particular, the team is firing on all cylinders, and it's a very important market for us as the second largest, but very soon the largest luxury goods market in the in the world. And with a tremendous opportunity now that travel is restricted, and seventy percent, which is seventy billion dollars of luxury goods were purchased while, while traveling, that's a tremendous online opportunity uh, in mainland China. So. Capturing that opportunity is a strategic focus for us, and we're delivering, you know, in a in a fantastic way um, on the ground, both in terms of online efforts, but uh, even in terms of offline efforts. We have events that we're curating and executing together with uh, with brands locally in several cities in China. So we we go down to this very physical level, which which is still important for the local customer. And so, for example, we have a series of events in China called Farfetch Community Gallery, where we essentially take, you know, 
a gallery, essentially a fashion gallery, if you want, um, to different cities in China and create experiences for for the local customer. So all of that is a lot to do, but but all of that is for us crucial to to have this um, global platform. Yeah, and as you look ahead at the roadmap, I know you mentioned sustainability as a as a part of the strategy and carbon neutrality. You know, how much is Farfetch looking at what's happening from, you know, the global perspective, but also market by market in terms of what customers are are looking for in the brands that they shop? I think it's sustainability. It is uh, diversity and inclusivity. Where does that fit in, and what you consider the company's priorities to be? I'm glad you 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 touched that topic because it's something we're really passionate about and actually really proud of the work we've been doing, although there's still a lot, um, obviously a lot to do. Uh, on the sustainability front, we've been for a number of years working on a very cohesive strategy. We've done, uh, and we are continuing to double down on a number of initiatives. Obviously, we launched carbon neutral shopping and returns. We have Positively Conscious, which is our edit of sustainable designers. We've launched initiatives in the circular economy. So we have a fast-growing pre-owned business. And we also launched Second Life, which allows consumers to send us their closets. Uh, We started with handbags, but we'll in the future have other categories. Obviously, stadium goods um, as well as, as sneaker resale category. But that circular economy piece is for us also very important. So we're very active on that. So there's a number of initiatives, of course, you know, working on our packaging, which has been revamped a number of times and making sure we're not shipping air and shipping the right sizes of boxes and all all of that. So measuring, you know, step by step as we go along is also very important for us. So. Uh, of course, we're also involved with the industry, with the, with the fashion pact that François Ripinot so courageously and, and brilliantly kickstarted, and and a number of other um, initiatives around the industry. And we have, you know, you know, very ambitious targets for the next decade uh, that we plan to to hit. Uh, so that's on the sustainability side of things. It's it's a very coherent end-to-end strategy that that we we will continue to execute and and customers absolutely uh, react very positively to that. I think it's certain things are table stakes, others are fantastic experiences that that customers really appreciate and where we are a little little ahead of the curve and others we still have to catch up, but it's uh, ongoing work. And then on diversity and inclusion, something we're absolutely passionate about. We've, We've just uh, created an ESG committee of the board with Stephanie Horton, who used to be our CMO, um, in fact, and, and actually ex-Vogue ex as well. Joining our board, uh, we have a number of e- initiatives to support black designers and to support uh, minority designers as well, ethnical minority designers. And we will obviously continue to work with our employee base. We have several Farfetch, what we call Farfetch communities, you know, we've been very active with our Black employee network in the past few months, obviously for um, everything that is uh, happening around Black Lives Matter around the world. And I, I think there's a lot to do and a lot to learn. But we, I think, I do think we have the right company culture, and, and definitely our hearts and minds are are in the right place. We now need to stay focused, continue to humbly listen, and and continue to execute. But it's an area that we're very committed to. 
Yeah. Yeah. And as we're about to wrap up, to take those ideas, I know we talk about sustainability and diversity and inclusion, but these are really huge buckets. Um, if you were to think in, in specifics, what do you think your, you know, what would you say your predictions are in terms of how this will, I guess, play out in in, in terms of where customer behavior goes, where fashion itself goes? Um, you know, for example, I think what you, you know, you were saying about um, circularity and the aftermarket, one piece of it, you know, do you think that there could be a shift away from this emphasis on newness and more towards timelessness and just, you know, an opening of the doors for less of a, a Western focus on fashion um, with with more Black designers to the forefront and minority designers. Do you see, like, where do you see fashion heading? And is that consumer-led or is, or is it industry-led? I think, you know, that's, unfortunately, there's not one single silver bullet, right? So there's many lead bullets, <laughs> no no single silver bullet. So we cannot say circular economy is a solution or we cannot say made to order, for example, which is something I'm very passionate about. And we do have, I think we're the only multi-brand site with customization where you can buy several of our designers in a made to order customized fashion. So there's literally no overstock. These things are very powerful, but I don't think we can say that the entire fashion industry will be uh, operating like this. Nor am I saying that it should be operating like this. I think we should. There, there is room, obviously, for newness. New product has to, you know, be created and, and produced, and there is room for circularity in this new product. And there is room for different business models that fight waste, different technologies uh, that allow for better size and fit, for example, so that there's less returns and uh, and less overstock. All, all these things need to be worked at the same time. I don't think there is one single silver bullet. It would be amazing, right? Because then we would concentrate everything in, in one single strategy. Uh, and I think the same applies to diversity and inclusion. I think, you know, supporting black designers, supporting designers from smaller countries and also afflicted countries and, and, uh, and disaster areas is something that we're very focused and we've, you know, publicly announced a number of initiatives uh, around that, some of uh, of which um, already launched. And, and we, uh, that's what Farfetch is. It's it's a global community of fashion, which which includes all of these designers. And of course, we can bring them to a center stage and, and really help them, you know, develop their businesses in in a meaningful way. But but I, that doesn't mean that the industry uh, won't have big and small, I, I always say this, this is an ecosystem, right? And in an ecosystem, we see it in nature, uh, although different life forms, they're unaware of each other and they think they're fending for themselves. They're not fending for themselves. They, they're completely interdependent, right? And, and the same thing is in fashion. You know, the big designers, where are they hiring the talent? Um, if there wasn't an off-white, Virgil wouldn't have been trained to the point that Louis Vuitton could put him at, at the helm of of his men's collections, right? So, and, and in turn, Off-White, without the boutiques, wouldn't be able to, to, to have grown. And so you see that the big houses, to keep the connection with culture and creativity, they need the small designers. The small designers, in turn, need the boutiques. So in a very interesting way, the, the, the big houses need the small boutiques without even noticing it. But that's also the other way around. You know, the big houses also inject a level of awareness and customer desire in, in fashion 
that then helps the small boutiques because if people are interested and engaged in the category, guess what? They will also uh, shop. You come into a department store sometimes to look for a big brand and you end up buying a small brand. So so I, what people see as a, a fight, I see as an ecosystem. And I, I really see all of these elements and all of these actors working actually in a, in a very coherent way and um, uh, and as, uh, in a very synergistic way. And what our role as Farfetch is to be the platform. So we want to be the platform for the best curators, the best creators, so that they can connect to fashion lovers around the world. And that's what we're going to keep focusing. And then, of course, supporting you know, sustainability, diversity, and inclusion strategies from these brands and these retailers and our, our own as well, and, and trying to play an active role in that way. Absolutely. So it's all, it's all, you know, the goal is to get it to be part of that, of that ecosystem that, that functions. Um, great. I think that's a, that's a great place to end. Thanks so much uh, for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Hillary. Great pleasure. Thank you for joining us, Jose. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. So join us again to hear from those in fashion, adjusting the roadmaps to reflect an industry in flux. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Vogue Business website. And as ever, for more coverage on the future of fashion, subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter at voguebusiness.com. Our executive producer was Alad John. My name is Hilary Milnes. That was the future of fashion. Thank you for listening.